So we're going to start in verse 12. I'm just going to read it off of the screen tonight because I forgot we didn't bring the Bibles, and then my wife told me we did bring the Bibles, but it's all good. So Yeah, we got like 20 of them here. So Okay, so um, here we go. Verse 12, this is Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your message but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him and, and not only on him but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be, be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Alright, so uh, let's just pray really quick. God, just pray that your word would be open to us. God, that we would be, see Philippians chapter 2 and, and, and see the meaning and the, the passage as it was originally written to the Philippians by Paul. And God, I pray that we'd be able to draw out from that principles that apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, this is a really strange, this feels like a collision tonight for me. So I've got my church family, some of, some of them here, and then I've got the high school guys and girls that I hang out with on Wednesdays usually. And so uh, so for all of you high schoolers, this, this, uh, this last couple of weeks, Rory, who's a pastor of our church, um, and usually teaches, uh, he's in Nepal. And so um, we're in this book of Philippians, which is a letter that was written to uh, a church in a, in a place called Philippi, which is somewhere around the Mediterranean. I don't know if it's in Italy or Turkey. Sure. So anyway, um, Bible place 2,000 years ago. And, um, and Paul was this missionary uh, who was maybe the greatest missionary of all time, and he wrote several of the epistles. In the high school ministry right now, we have been reading through the book of John. And so just giving you guys a little context, Philippians is written by another guy 
named Paul, who was a missionary to all kinds of places in the Greek world. And uh, so Adam, who's over there, that handsome guy right there, he taught uh, two weeks ago on Sunday, and then he taught last Wednesday. And then this Sunday, I taught the second chapter, and then a couple more guys in our church are going to teach the next two chapters on Sundays and Wednesdays. And so, so high schoolers, you're coming into this right in the middle. And uh, so on Sunday, I taught Philippians 2, 1 through 12, or 1 through 11, and now we're picking up in, cha- in verse 12 of chapter 2. So that's kind of where things are at. It'll be relevant still. The, the whole Bible is useful for instruction, and so it'll be, it'll be good. Um, so Paul had just written uh, this, this uh, beautiful passage, which, which I told you guys on Sunday was maybe one of the best uh, passages about Jesus in the whole Bible. And, um, and so right after this passage where Paul was pleading with the Philippians to like be selfless, and in verse 5, 2, 5, I think, 2, 4, uh, let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. So he uses this picture of who Jesus was being God, but not clinging to the fact that he was God, but being willing to come down to the earth and die on the cross for sinful people. He uses that um, to say, you know, Philippians, can you guys get along with each other and put the other person first? And, um, and so anyway, that's the context of where we're at. And we, he picks up in verse 12 right after he describes how excellent everything that Jesus did was. And in verse 12 he says, Therefore, my beloved, his, his brothers and sisters in Philippi, as you have always obeyed, so, uh, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. So Paul isn't with them anymore. He's actually writing this letter to them from prison, I think in Rome. And uh, so he's writing to them, and he's, he's pleading with them for, the, for them to get along. And he says to them this amazing phrase that I'm going to spend some time on. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so, the first thing I want to look at today, which I'm going to spend a little bit of time on, is what is meant by this phrase, work out your salvation. And then, and there's sort of about three verses that get into that. And then, we're going to jump back, basically, to the theme of the rest of the chapter, which is, put other people first. And we're going to see three examples of how that plays out. And, but I, I do want to spend just a little bit of time on this this chunk, work out your salvation. So there's this, this idea within uh, the Christian worldview that people are saved, that people are made right with God by the fact that they put their faith in him. And, and so Jesus, in this amazing thing we just read about him coming from heaven to earth and taking the form of a servant and then dying on the cross, all of this was so that we could put our faith in him and be right with God, and be saved, and be born again, like we were learning about in John 3 the other day. And um, so Paul, and Paul, if you read the letters of Paul, he wrote, you know, most of the epistles, or at least half the epistles. And, and Paul throughout, you know, the epistles is always a champion of, you are saved by faith, you are saved by faith, you know. And, and then we have this interesting phrase here that, that sometimes people in other, uh, you know, movements that I would call heresies uh, who teach things that are wrong, they might twist this around. And so like when I was in college, uh, me and Jessica were married and there were these Mormons that would come knocking on our apartment door like every six months. And every time the Mormons came, I was really excited to talk to them. And Jessica hated, hated it pretty much, I think. I remember one time 
she comes home from class and comes in and there's two Mormons and me sitting there. And she's like, oh, you know, and it's just like, what are you doing here, Mormons? They've got, they're like 18 and they have their name tag that says Elder Joe. It's like, you're not an elder, you're 18. Um, so I was, I remember reasoning with Mormons. One of the, one of the things that Mormons teach is that somehow a person is saved by faith and works. And a lot of different uh, movements that are heretical teach that kind of mixture. And so this might be a passage um, that they would choose to use for that. Another one that they love is James, I think it's chapter 2. And uh, those are about the only two spots where you could even begin to make that case. And uh, so if we look at this passage, you know, you could see at first reading why someone might think that this passage is somehow teaching that a person could be saved by their works. Because it uses the word salvation, which means deliverance or being saved from something bad. And it uses the word work. So in verse 12, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. And so, um, so what I want to do is make a case. Uh, this is really a great lesson in how to interpret the Bible. And um, what you want to do when you try to read through the Bible yourself and you come across things that are puzzling like this, is you, the first thing you always want to do is you want to look at the Bible in context. And so you, that means like who was writing this and to who were they writing it and what were they trying to say. And so if we were in chapter 2 and this was a passage where Paul was trying to describe how a person is made right with God, that, the context would be this is about how a person is made right with God. But we're, So the first thing, let's look at this. This passage is not about Paul teaching theology at all. If you read the book of Romans, you can read chapters 1 through 11. It's all very rich in theology. How does it work to become right with God? And I mean, just chapter after chapter in the book of Romans, that is exactly what Paul's focus is. This letter here is a, the focus of this letter, especially in this chapter, but really the whole letter, is, um, is Christian living. The focus of this letter is how do you live as a Christian with other people. And so we're right in the middle. We just read about Jesus and how his example of dying on the cross for us was a great example of how we should act. And then Paul says this interesting phrase, work out your salvation. And then we have a whole bunch, we're going to see, we're going to have three examples in the rest of the chapter about how to love people and put them in front of yourself. And so this, this, doesn't, this isn't a great spot to be drawing theology from in terms of what's called justification or salvation because it's not what this passage is about. And, and so that plus take into account, let's go to a few other writings of Paul. Ephesians 2.8. Kimmy, you got Ephesians 2.8? So here's Paul in, the, in this letter to the Ephesians and he says, For by grace you have been, past tense, already happened, saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Do we? Sorry, do you have nine and ten? Can you just throw those in really quick too? I didn't put that on there, but yeah. So I could just tell it to you. So nine says, "Not of works, lest any man should boast." Um, it is a gift of God. And let's go. Let's see. Where do I put all those? There's a few more. I guess I didn't put those in, but. Definitely, definitely. 
but uh, let me let me go to a couple other points really quick. Let's see. I had a couple. Uh, maybe I don't. Maybe I didn't put them in my last draft. But so there's there's other places in Romans where Paul uh, says something about. Um, gosh, how does this go? He says something about Abraham, and he's saying, you know, he's he's really in the book of Romans. He's trying to make the case of how does a person made right with God, and he says, you know, if Abraham was justified by works then he has something to boast about, but not before God. So there's this, this common theme with Paul where he said, if you're justified by your works, you get to, to kind of celebrate yourself over that. And there's a repeated theme from Paul, you aren't justified by works, you have nothing to boast about. Um, let's look, I'm trying to remember what it was. Yeah, I don't know the verse though. It's all right. Let's just keep going. Sorry, I'm a little less organized today. Um, so what I would say, in a nutshell, what's going on here with Paul when he says, work out your salvation, he's, he's talking about your salvation as something that's already happened. And then he's saying, work it out. So you got saved, now work it out. And he's, he's saying what I think is said in a f- several other places. Let's look at Second uh, Peter 1.10. Peter here is saying, therefore, brethren... Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Um, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. And so what he's saying here is like, guys, you want to know if you're saved? Prove it by the way that you're acting. You want to be confident that you're going to heaven? That you've been born again? Prove it by the way that you behave. Okay, another verse along these lines, 2 Corinthians thirteen five. Paul says, look at yourself. Examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Um, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you indeed you are disqualified. And so he's, he's looking at your behavior, and he's saying, if your life doesn't show, like, fruits of the Holy Spirit, that you've been born again, like we talked about in John 3 a couple weeks ago, you know, there's question as to whether or not you really are saved. But, so there's this theme, repeatedly, that if we are saved, we will continue in these things. That we will continue to have good works if God has saved us. And, and so one more, Hebrews 2.1. Uh, you know, we must give earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. So there's this, there's this idea out there sort of in Christianity that like, okay, well some pastor makes an altar call and says you can be born again and then you like say some prayer in your mind and accept Jesus into your heart and then what, go on and live life however you want and you're good to go, you're saved. But the, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible shows that a person who's really saved keeps acting like it. And so there's a verse where in John, John says, you know, they went out from us. They, like, they're not a part of our church anymore. And this was when there was just the church, you know. Uh, they're not part of the church anymore because they were not of us. Jesus talked about this, this parable where, where the sower sowed seed. And there's different kinds of seed that fell on different paths. And seed that fell on shallow soil. And that seed, it sprouted up quickly, but it had no depth. And so when the sun came out, it died. It withered and it died. And so there's this, there's this idea, you know, Jesus talks about um, the goats and the sheep, I think, and how he's going to separate the goats and the sheep. He talks about the wheat and the, and the weeds, and how at the end he's going to separate the wheat from the weeds. And there's always this idea out there that within, even within the church, there are people who are not really of the church, but that they're, they're there for a while and then they go on. And so, like, what Paul's saying here, you know, to get back to it now, when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, 
you know, the fear and trembling is like reverence for God, knowing that like you need to walk worthy of him now that you've been saved. And so, um, anybody have the New Living Translation? Sorry, I was going to throw this verse up there. Jessica, could you read verse 13 in the New, or verse 12 in the New Living Translation? Yeah, and so like, even, you know, one of the struggles that we have as people who only speak English is that the Greek words sometimes don't mean exactly, you know, what they might sound like in English translated literally. And so, um, you know, like, I'm trying to think of some phrases in our language that might be that way, like, I don't know. But, so, when we read several translations of a, of a text, and, and so New Living Translation, just read what where they had um, work out your salvation, Jess, it was like, Second half of 12. Yeah. Yeah. Put into action God's saving work in your lives. And um, so it's this text, it isn't saying you can be saved if you work hard enough. It's saying, you know, now that you have been saved, work it out. Do it. Act like it. And so um, if I was a better theologian, I could go deeper into that, but think I've killed it, so let's keep going. Uh, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so uh, what we see, I think, is really encouraging in verse 13 is that if you've been saved, if you've been born again, the desire to do what is right is going to come out of you, not from you, but from the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And, you know, I think back to when I got saved in college like, I remember I had, I said a lot of bad words in high school. I used to use the F word a lot. I'm sure none of you ever do that. And, uh, and uh, when I got saved in college, I didn't have to, like, try to stop saying bad words. I just literally, like, never said bad words anymore. I mean, I went, like, from a guy who cussed all the time to just a guy who just didn't cuss. And it wasn't, like, some conscious choice that I made. But I think it was just the, the work of the Holy Spirit inside of me that he was just bringing out good things out of my heart instead of bad things. And um, so we see this in Romans 8.10, the same idea. Kimmy, could you put up Romans 8.10? And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So the spirit of God dwells in you if you've been born again. And he's giving you this desire to obey him. And he's giving you the strength to actually do what he wants. Um, so that's pretty exciting. I've been really encouraged by that verse. I mean, I knew 12 and 13 before I started t preparing to teach. These are kind of popular verses. Because it's about the fact that, yeah, you, you want to do what's good. And God's going to give you what you need to actually do it. So imagine you guys could find some memories of that in your life. Let's keep going. Uh, verses 14 through 16. I'm going to read them again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And so, like, this is really rich, I think, this verse. You know, a crooked and perverse generation. And, like, we have high school kids here tonight, you know, and, like, the most... Honestly, as a grown-up, 
I mean, I, I hang around with high school kids, so I guess I see more of it maybe than other grown-ups do. But, like, the most twisted and perverse period in my life, not even just for me, but, like, when I was just around it all the time, was when I was about 16 to 23. And you guys are right on that precipice, or you're right in the middle of it right now. And, I mean, you're single. People have become aware, you know, you've gone through puberty, so you are aware of certain reproductive things that are potentially in your future, and the culture that you're in is just, like, obsessed with that, like, obsessed with body image, uh, obsessed with, you know, style and fashion, and, and, you know, just, I mean, there isn't a month that goes by in high school where I don't have some kid talking about, you know, getting drunk or, um, you know, girl. I mean, it's just like, and I'm a teacher. They're supposed to be good around me, you know? So, like, what are they acting like around you guys? And, and I I mean, the videos, you know, um, when we were in high school, it was MTV. And now MTV, people don't even, like, there's not even music videos anymore on MTV, but, like, just, like, all this media out there that's just so filled with sex and and pleasure and, and doing what feels good. And, yeah, so that that idea of just, you know, satisfying your flesh and whatever it desires. And, and the, I mean, it's kind of a product of the American, you know, political system that we believe in freedom. And so there's freedom of speech. You can protest the new president or you can have freedom of lifestyle and you can live any way you want and, and satisfy whatever desire you have. And, and it just pr- produces a, a world a lot like some of the some of the Greek worlds that Paul was probably, I mean, the Philippians probably lived in a pretty similar culture where, where pleasure was, was king and, and people just pursued that stuff. And so God says, when you live in a twisted and corrupt generation, um, that you hold fast to the word of life so that the, in the day of Christ you may be, um, sorry, so that in the day of Christ that Paul would be proud that he did not run in vain and labor in vain, that that basically the Philippians would live as a light in the world. And so in this darkness that you live in, where everybody's obsessed with pleasure and sex and drinking, that instead of acting like them, you would be like a light in the darkness. And, you know, it's really a cool thing. I had a lot of things that, that were screwed up about my life when I was young. But um, I never, I've never been drunk, ever. And so I've, been, I've done a lot of stupid things, but I've never been drunk. And so every year, there's a kid who, you know, every, every couple of months, there's a kid who asks me, oh, Chris, when you're in college, you just get so drunk and go to parties all the time. Was it just awesome? And it's a really awesome thing that God has given me that I can just say, I've never been drunk. And usually the kids who ask you that kind of question have done that stuff, I think. And so they're like, no way, no. You, and it's just like, what? You know, it's just, for, for the worldly man, how do you even perceive that? Like, what? You went to, co- I've seen movies about college. I know how awesome it is, you know? And, and I get to tell it, I've never been drunk. And then, and then the inevitable next question is, why not? You know? And then I can say, I love Jesus. I became a Christian when I went to college. God got a hold of my life, and I never lived like that. And that just, and it's like, there's respect there from worldly people. Like, wow, you chose that. That's interesting. You know, and that's the kind of light that you guys can be in your culture right now, and all of us. Sorry, I'm kind of focused on these high school kids right now, but 
Um, you know, like you don't have to be the obnoxious. Like when I, I remember when I lived, worked in Corvallis, I'd drive home every night and there was this dude and he wore like a suit, suit pants and a white shirt every day. And he'd stand out on the corner. I think he was like a pastor of some weird Christian movement. And, and he'd stand out on the corner every day with a sign that was like, you're going to hell. <laughs> While all the cars would drive by. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'd look at that guy every night and just be like, what do you think you're accomplishing? Seriously? Like, that's not the gospel, dude. You know, and uh, Paul said, Paul, I don't think Paul went around with signs in Philippi to recruit people. We don't read about that in the book of Acts. But um, Paul said in one of his epistles, I have become all things to all men in the hope that I might save some. And, you know, like what I love doing as a, as a Christian who's a teacher in a public school, I love trying to relate to people who are young and beautiful like Alex. And I love trying to like love them and just get to know them. And, and then hope that in that relationship that they might want to learn about why I'm different. And not, not, you know, some people say, oh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Like, also, there need to be these moments of extreme boldness where you very much preach the gospel with words. But also, there needs to be love. If you just have words and you have no love, people aren't going to listen to you. So there's a real balance there. I think, I think both of them are very important. And um, so that's kind of my philosophy on, on being a light in a twisted and perverse generation. Okay, so now I'd like to get on to three examples of selflessness that we see in this chapter. And the first one is Paul. And so in verse 17, Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering... Sorry, I think I just read the word offering twice. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. No, it was there twice. I am glad and rejoice with you all. So Paul's like saying like, even if I get killed because I, you know, spent my life trying to reach you. Like, guys, get this. Get this, okay? Paul lived in like the equivalent of like a third world country because nobody had any concept of sanitary conditions yet. You know, nobody had any any real concept of disease or medicine. You know, like, there weren't retirement plans and 401ks very much, I don't think. You know, like, life was scary. You died when you were, like, 45, normally, I think. You know, like, there were a lot of risks in life. And, and so Paul could have been, like, you know, like, whoa. And he was Jewish. And so, like, the Gentiles were, like, gross. And he could have been, like, I'm just going to stay in Israel with the other Jews who have all the normal Jewish stuff. And I'm not going to go near those, those gross Gentiles. But instead, Paul was, like, and it was the work of the Holy Spirit in Paul. It's not like he was righteous in his own might. But, but God brought Paul to a place where he actually desired to go out of safety and to go find people who didn't know about Jesus, who were living in this perverse generation, and he wanted to help them know God and not go to hell. And that was his life. Like, he didn't have an F-150, and he didn't have, like, highways to get there, you know, and, like, safety supplies and, you know, a gun and all this kind of, he just went for it. And like he had like a coat and some boots and he knew how to make tents out of leather. And he just went to the Greek world and was like, I'm just going to bring the gospel here. And it was like suicidal. And, um, and he said, even if I get poured out as a drink offering upon the, sac- upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And that's why he, in, a, in verse 
uh, where is it? Uh, verse 16, he says um, that he doesn't want to find out that he had run in vain or labored in vain. Like he didn't want these Philippians who he had reached, he didn't want them to like turn away from God and then it was like, I spent three years there for nothing. Like that was his whole focus. His life was about that. And I think about that and how Paul could say in verse, or in chapter 2, verse 21, I think. Chapter 2, verse 21, he says, for to, me, from, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Literally, Paul is saying here to these Philippians, I would rather die right now. But it's better that I stay alive so that, that I can teach you more about Jesus so that you can grow up and be mature. So like Paul didn't have, like, like I think about myself when I think about Paul. Paul didn't have like his eyes fixed on like, I really want to get like a, a house and then after I get that house, I really want to pay it off. And once it's paid for, and I've got a couple vehicles, and I've got like a good retirement, and then I can like get a boat and build a garage just for that boat. And I'll use it like three times a year, but I need a garage for that boat. And then I'll have a Suburban and a nice truck. I'm talking about myself right now. And, and then once everything's paid off, then I'll retire from my job as long as there's enough, enough of this money in my retirement account. And then I'll just lay there until I die. You know, that's like kind of the American dream that I just described, right? Like get everything, pay, first get it in debt, then pay it off, then retire, then just kind of sit there and enjoy it. And then every day, like ask the dog what you should eat for lunch and go play solitaire on the computer for a couple hours. I mean, I'm describing people that I know. Literally, that's kind of the American dream. Like just get really rich and safe. Like when I was a kid, this is a really strange metaphor. When I was a kid, I used to play this game on the computer, and I used to, like, get all the, like, you'd build a wall around your city, and then you'd have all these defenses, and you'd have all these minerals, and I would, like, I would, like, build everything up so I was super safe, and then I'd feel, like, really good about my city, you know? And that's probably, like, what's that game kids play on their phone? Yeah, one of those games. You know, it's, like, this weird thing in human nature that you want to like build up all this stuff and keep it to yourself and make sure that you're going to die at a really old age with plenty of stuff. And Paul's like, I got nothing. I have, a, I have a coat and I'm in jail and I'm totally content with that. But I probably should keep living for you guys. That's like sacrificial, right? Another example. Uh, I'm going to keep going here. It seems like this has gone really fast. Okay, I hope in the Lord Jesus. So Paul was an example of this love that Jesus was about, that we read about in verse 4 of chapter 2. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So Paul wasn't looking out for himself. He was looking out for the people of Philippi. Okay? Here's Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. This is verse 19. So that I too may be, uh, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how he, as a son with his father, has served with me in the gospel. And I hope to send him soon to you, after I know what finds out, after I see how it will go with me in prison. And um, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And so, so here's another person who's an example of putting others first. Like Paul could say, and this is really sad, like Paul had gone all through the Asian world, and he's in Rome, in prison, and he can literally say in another place, 
2 Timothy 1.15. Do you have that one, Kimmy? This, so this is Paul, I think, writing this in prison again. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, or however you say that. And so, like, Paul was, like, literally, like, abandoned by everyone else. And Timothy was, like, this one person who was still there by his side. And so there must have been, you know, it's kind of like when Jesus was about to get crucified and all the disciples scattered, you know? Like, Paul was about to get killed in Rome. I think he got to live there for a few years first. But Timothy was the only one still with him. And so like Timothy was also right there with Paul, ready to risk his life to help Paul. And, and so we see another example of what it looks like in a Christian world to actually care about other people and not just care about yourself. And then um, the last one, um, I'll go through. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. So I'm thinking, I don't know for sure, but I'm thinking the Philippians first sent Epaphroditus to Paul, okay? And then it says, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So listen to this. This guy Epaphroditus knew the Philippians and he went to Paul and he got sick. And he wasn't upset that he was sick. What was he upset about? Look back at the text. He has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So he's like one of those people who's like, oh, I'm sick and I just want to hide it so no one else makes a fuss. You know? He's like, oh, they're going to find out I'm sick and then they're going to be worried that I'm going to die and that's going to upset them, so now I'm upset. So this was a very selfless dude. He didn't care about his own health, according to Paul. He just cared that it was going to upset people when he died. This is like, the, I remember I heard this old guy one time who was praying that he, that his wife would die before him, which at first seems a little twisted maybe, but he, pray, he was praying that his wife would die before him so that she wouldn't have to suffer and be alone when he died. That's like some serious old man love right there. Right? And so that's what Epaphroditus is feeling like. Epaphroditus is like, I don't care if I live, but I don't want to die because it's going to make them sad. That's, that's, he's, a, he's a Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 kind of guy. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So he's like so worried about other people that he doesn't even care about his own life, but he cares that if he dies, it hurts their feelings. That's some serious love. And then here's the last verse. Here's the last verse I want to touch on uh, tonight, and it is... Okay, here it is. Verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. And I think, I think, I liked the word, this is the English Standard Version. So another translation is esteem such men. And so like, look up to this guy. So this guy Epaphroditus risked his life to come to Paul and now he's coming back. And it's like, look up to him. Like that's some serious sacrifice that he made. And like literally, guys, we have brothers and sisters in Nepal right now. And it's like 30 hours on a plane to get there. And did you know, like high schoolers, you probably didn't know this, some people, when they fly on an airplane for that long, I mean, it's not a really common thing, but even just flying over there is kind of risking their life, right? Like the plane might crash. People get, I don't know why I'm talking about this, people get blood clots in their legs sometimes from sitting that long on an airplane. Like it's just not great. 
One of the people in our church, his, one of his relatives, put something on Facebook. I'm trying to be general here so it doesn't go back to anyone. One of his relatives, when he was going, you know, and somebody posted that he was going, everybody was celebrating. Yeah, you're so awesome. You're so brave. And one of his relatives put on Facebook something like, God's plan is never to put the breadwinner of the family in danger. Something like that. And, I mean, it, it didn't sound that bad, but it sounded about that bad. Like, they were literally saying, like, it's not God's will for you to go there because you have a wife and kids that you need to take care of. And that guy's philosophy that God doesn't want you to travel and risk your life because you have a wife and kids is totally not based in the Bible. Okay? The Bible would say, esteem him. Look up to him. Like, he's, like, risking his life to go to Nepal to tell people who've never heard about Jesus about Jesus. And, like, the Christian biblical worldview of that is like, wow, that dude's a hero. And, and so the world, though, there are times where the world's not going to understand what we do. It's going to seem stupid to them. And that might be one of those times. Even when I was a young Christian, and I knew, like, people went to other countries, you know, like, I was just like, why would you do that? You won't have health insurance. You know, like people go to other countries and then they like crash on a motorcycle and there's like different kinds of bacteria there than normal, you know, where, you've, where you're from. And they get like weird infections that they've got no immunity to, you know. It's just like dangerous. It really is dangerous. But, and like flying in an airplane is dangerous. Like what if it crashes? But God doesn't say those people are dumb. God says esteem those people. Look up to, that's like the most, like in my mind, You've got like, you know, worship leader, pastor, missionary. You know, like of those, of those jobs people have in the church. Like there's nothing more extreme than being a missionary. Right? Jesus, ultimate missionary, right? Came from heaven to earth. That's a major mission trip. But like missionaries are like to be esteemed. So I think that's cool that they're in Nepal right now and we come across that verse. So anyway, I don't know. This is a little bit of a mess tonight. But, uh, you know, like I guess what I want to finish on, and we're going to have some time of worship, and Kristen's going to come back up. She's here. There she is. Um, you know, what I want to focus on tonight, guys, is like I see in myself. Really tonight, I'm just reading this chapter. I see in myself the American dream. Like, like literally, I probably look on Craigslist at cars two to three times a week. And I'm not going to be buying a car anytime soon. That's just not necessary, you know? Yeah. And like, and like, 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 there's just this, it seems like there's this pervasive American culture that infiltrates our minds as Christians and tells us you need to be safe. You need a retirement account. You need health insurance. You need, you need this insurance. You need that insurance. You need to have nicer cars, you know, like. Like, I got this junky little truck right now, and my boys sit in the back seat, and, like, they've got a seatbelt, but they don't have, like, a shoulder seatbelt, you know? Yeah, like, one of these. And so I'm like, oh, that's really not safe. I really need to go spend $10,000 on a nicer vehicle right now, you know? And it's just like, we get so obsessed with all these little things, and we miss the big things, you know? We miss the point. Like, God, if God wants me to die in a car accident, I'm going to die in a car accident, whether I have side impact airbags or not, you know? Like, we need to stop worrying so much about all these little things that keep ourselves safe and protect us from the world. And we need to, like, get a little more aggressive and reckless 
like Paul was and Epaphroditus was to just like go to a third world country and, you know, maybe die bringing the gospel there. And, and you know, not just always just totally ex- extreme rate, crazy things like that. Like we also just need to like get our priorities straight that like instead of being about like looking at Craigslist and thinking about cars and for me like I like running and I think about how fast I could go. and We get so obsessed with all these things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. You know? And I don't know what that is for you guys, but I imagine most of you are probably sinners like me and you struggle with those, you struggle with something, you know, it's probably not running and looking at F-150s on Craigslist, but, you know, we get our eyes so fixed on the world, we conform, like, I didn't even go to it, but you have Romans 2.12, or 12.2, Romans 12.2, Kimmy, sorry. You know, this is like, this is kind of like what I'm trying to get at here. It's like, don't be conformed to this world. Even in the things that are kind of okay, like owning a vehicle and having insurance and whatever else I was just talking about. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So like literally we should be so like chewing on the Bible, like reading this book. And like, it's funny because like I have to read this thing when I'm going to actually get up in front of people and talk about it. And, I, and, like, I have to read it and actually, like, really focus on it. You know, like, me and Jess will get up in the morning, and it's, like, 6.30 in the morning. We get to the book of Acts, and I'm just, like, I'm just going to keep my eyes open and read these verses, and then I'm going to get up and go drink some water. And, and, you know, and it's, like, there's no real focus. But, like, then I'm going to get up in front of people. Like, I better actually, like, chew on this, you know, and spend some time thinking about it, you know. And, like, like we need to get myself, I'm talking to myself right now, I need to get my eyes off the world get my eyes off like regular life and just just going through the motions i've got a retirement account i got a job i got a mortgage i got a car payment we get our eyes off of those things and we need to be like radical people who just like are willing to like endanger ourselves or just like give up basic things so that we can reach people you know i don't know if this made any sense tonight um so let me just pray and then kristen's going to come up and and play uh, some songs. We've got like time. We've got like four songs. And so like let's just like maybe even just turn down the lights back there and let's just let's just make this a time of like letting the word of God just kind of soak in and, and just go ahead and bow your heads right now. And, and God we do pray just that that your word would just like soak into us and just like just get into our minds and just convict us of sin. God not not even sin maybe but just like just like compromise where we're just not focused on you god where you know your goal for us as christians is to reach the world and and god we may be just conforming to the world instead of reaching the world maybe just kind of acting like the rest of the world instead of reaching them and god we just pray you know put your finger on those things in us god you put that your finger on on you know why do i spend time on craigslist you know, why do I focus so much time on exercising but I don't spend any time exercising myself in the Word? And, and Holy Spirit, just, just convict us and speak to us tonight about what it is that you're wanting to bring out in us. Lord Jesus, as, as you're wanting to sanctify us, as you're wanting us to work out our sanctification, that we would, that we would walk worthy of you. Um, you know, it's the Holy Spirit in us who's going to give us a desire to do what is right. It's the Holy Spirit in us who's going to give us a desire to walk worthy of you, and he's going to give us the strength to do it. 
So God, we just, we're going to worship you tonight in spirit and in truth, and we just pray that you would just, um, just work those things in us tonight.